Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 171, Bran in A Game of Thrones, Chapter 7. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. It's the final A Game of Thrones Bran chapter. Oh, sorry, I thought you were... We were doing final countdown. Um, mm. yeah, it's the last. It's brand seven, lucky number brand seven. Oh yeah, and kind of unlucky though. <laughs> yeah, kind of unlucky. Those damned faith of the seveners with their murdering Ned. True. What a bummer for all. This is a this is a sad chapter. We're gonna try to keep it lighthearted for you as we learn once more that Ned's dead for like the whatevert time. You know how that Actually, goes yeah. in this story? How many times have we learned that that is dead in this story? Like five, six, <laughs> seven? Uh, yeah, at least it like happens all at once when you do a straight read-through, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I remember back, way back when, when we first were doing some of these, you were like, why don't you just copy the old lightning rounds? And I'm like, that's not fun, Eliana. Then they have to hear the same thing. Every POV. Yeah, I Try think everyone else fun. remembers, you know, what we said in our episodes better than we do. For me, I'd be like, wow, this is so new. I don't know if you would copy the same text. I'd be like, this is brand new. And, you know, I'm sure our listeners w- would catch and be like, they said that. And I'd be like, oh, God. I run the QA department, you know, which is a problem. Allie and Jake assist me sometimes, but you know how cats are, man. They're not great at that. Not at all. Not at all. They are not a help on Tuesdays either or Mondays when we record and put up our House of the Dragon episodes. If you're not watching the HBO critically acclaimed show, House of the Dragon, it's fire and blood, but on TV for the Dance of the Dragons. And actually, I know you've all been burnt before, like me. It's pretty good. Yeah, we're having a great time. It's fun. I actually really am having a great time. I thought you were going to stop, like you said house, and then I was like, house? <laughs> Just kind of... MD? I was like, we're not covering that show. No, uh, no, my god. No, we're covering the other hot D. Wait, what? He is kind of a hot D, Yeah, right? I don't know. I've never watched it. Oh, well, you've seen Veep, so same character. Uh, oh my god. But... Wait. Yeah, Lori. He Lori. So... Glossing over that, we are putting out weekly episodes on House of the Dragon. Tuesday mornings, those hit your feed. If you're a patron, we try to get them to you Monday nights, but we just have so much excitement for these episodes that sometimes they runneth over. So listen up, keep your eyes peeled, look out for those. They're fun. We're having a blast with that show. And we have some other bonus content coming your way this month, not just your two episodes a week, but... Also, a new Patreon episode. At long last, we have figured out what our Patreon episode is going to be this October. Inspired by a random person's fantastic Twitter question, we are going to be talking, we are starting a new series. (laughs) And we actually already even know what next month will be. Thanks to this series, we have decided to start. I don't even want to say this. I can't believe you're making me say a series. Is it not? Girls Gone Canon, we start series. Do we finish them? Sometimes. Yeah, we finished the dance series. We eventually did finish that. And now we've gone back. We're doing it again. Mm -hmm. So Sansa's next, as you can tell from that pattern. Yeah, we are going to do Kingsguard this month. We're doing the Kingsguard. And (laughs) we finished his dark materials. Sorry. (laughs) Next month, we're going to be covering the Queensguard. So I'm 
no offense, but I'm slightly more excited about next month for some of the nuances that get to be added. However, I am looking forward to this total Kingsguard Sausage Fest episode. Our favorites, our least favorites, some of the different, you know, bits about them, themselves, and the lives they lead, and also the entire work culture of the Kingsguard and how toxic it is. Yeah, I think we'll talk a little bit more about some of them and the lives that they lead, etc., like more in depth as we go through the generations in other parts of it. But this one's kind of talking about, apparently there's like a lot to discuss. They hold a lot of different roles and thought it'd be good to kind of discuss what really goes into the duties of a Kingsguard before we dive into the nuances of how that plays out with the Queen's Guards, you know, just sort of laying that groundwork. Yeah, it adds a whole new layer. I'm excited to explore that in the next two months. And there's some other exploring you can do. If you're a patron in the $10 and up tier, the Thunder tier, not only do you get access to the bonus Patreon episodes, but you also get access to our private Discord server. Lifetime access, if we're being honest. We do Hot D weekly discussions. Our friend Maddie hosts them. It is a blast. She does an awesome job. She does a nice presentation usually. Uh, there's some gr- just great chats going on and just some discussions between people on the things they like, the things they don't, what they look forward to in the future, and speculation. And we also host a monthly brunch slash happy hour. This month is October 23rd, where you can hang out with friends, play some reindeer games, some A Song of Ice and Fire Halloween-themed reindeer games, possibly, if you will. And uh, 2 to 4 p.m. ET, we'll all be in the voice chat, hanging out. Feel free to be on video or on voice and having a good time for a couple hours. Yeah. Well, I think we've been getting some emails and tweets of note. I think we're going to bring them back for Clash. We're going to Clash with them. Yeah, I think we're going to bring them back for Clash. I know that our friend Brandon, though, has said uh, Eliana needs to stop bullying Chloe. That's Which part of the charm, I, I think. About? Is it Bran Stark? Is it uh, Brandon the emailer? Yes, maybe both. Brandon the emailer. Oh, that's wonderful. That's a new title. Yeah, it is. Viserys the Peaceful. Watch out. We have a better title on our hands. Uh, yes, I look forward to Brandon the emailer. Come again. And of course, we have some other emails from friends like, I think, my friend Warren that you might know, and Pete, and a couple other people that are hanging out in our inbox we gotta get to. So keep your ears peeled for next month when we uh, are well into Clash. But until then, let's do this lightning round. Yeah, starting off with Daenerys 6. A wine merchant attempts to poison Daenerys. Cal Drogo decides to take the Seven Kingdoms. Catelyn 8. At Moat Catelyn, Catelyn tells Rob they must win or die. You know, get it? Yeah, in the game I, I do. There is no middle yeah. ground. Tyrion 7. 300 mountain clansmen bring Tyrion to the inn at the crossroads where he discusses war plans with Tywin. Sansa 5. At court, Sansa begs mercy for her father. Barristan, a Kingsguard, storms out at the new policies. Good for him. Wish I had a backbone. Good for him. Ned 15. Varys visits Ned in the Black Cells where he tries to convince him to lay down his honor for the sake of the children. Wow. I didn't know that Ned cared so much about the children of the forest. My god, he doesn't. That's the problem. (laughs) Catalan 9. Rob arrives at the Twins where they negotiate terms for crossing the Green Fork with Lord Walder Frey. John 8. 
John reluctantly receives Lord Mormont's sword, Longclaw. That's not a euphemism. Maester Eamon speaks to John about love, family, and duty. Promise me, promise me, promise me. Daenerys 7. Caldrogo defeats another Kalasar, taking a town captive. Danny intervenes when she sees the Dothraki raping the women and rescues a healer named Miri Mazdor. Tyrion 8. Tyrion and the Veilmen are assigned to Gregor Clegane's command. Tyrion meets a sex worker named Shay and is called to arms right before dawn to fight the enemy, but soon learns Rob Stark has tricked them. But Rob, so clever. Catelyn 10. Undetected by the Lannisters, the Stark host arrives at Riverrun, and they plan an ambush on Jaime Lannister. They capture him, but the victory is bittersweet. Daenerys 8. After falling from his horse, Daenerys orders the Kalasar to stop for Drogo, and she calls Miri Mazdur to heal him. Miri obliges with blood magic. A fight ensues, Jorah's injured, the blood riders are killed, and Daenerys begins to hemorrhage. Arya 5. Arya hunts pigeons. The street of King's Landing. Until the bells begin to ring. She tries to get to her father through his confession, but Yorin of the Night's Watch stops her. Leading us into Bran in a Game of Thrones, Chapter 7. Bran and Rickon dream their father's return to the crypts of Winterfell. Maester Lewin gives them a history lesson, and then a raven arrives, informing them that the boys were indeed right. Their father is fucking dead. (laughs) I mean, it's true. (laughs) It is true. He is dead. We we know Uh... this. We literally just saw it. You know, there were pigeons. Ah, oh, the Could pigeons. Oh my god, the pigeons. Pigeon wings, pigeon words. So. <laughs> Little pigeon. In the yard below, boys and men alike are training to go to war for Winterfell. 20 or so, It's that's the oldest, right? There's also even younger than that. The sound is of wood on wood, which is kind of funny, you know, contrasting that steel against steel that we've heard before from a lot of these yards. There's thwacks and yells. Sir Roderick strides between them all saying, no, no, no. And Bran realizes they don't really seem to be fighting very well. It kind of reminds me actually of Duncan Egg 2, The Sworn Sword, where you have all these these young men who don't know how to how to fight. And I think you're going to bring a little bit more about Duncan Egg in a little later on. But it really goes to show, right? Like, I mean, we all know these aren't really like full grown men, right? And especially as they're training them so young, it really just shows the churn of war. And then also how if you're killing these many people, including the, the next generation and getting ready for that, like how the toll that war takes and stagnating their society, especially when we hear like these long long like thousands of years of history and you're like wow dang they haven't changed that that much huh well that's what robert's rebellion was all about right they're the age of the children that were born at that time and robert's rebellion was about them not having to go to war about them ending the tyranny as well as maybe doing a little power play but (laughs) but it depends on which side we're looking at here and how you're looking at it but you know it was their goal to end that tyranny and to live in safety and, you know, they had the Greyjoy Rebellion 10 years later, and those boys weren't old enough to go to war then. They were what? 10. 8 to 10. Maybe they could squire, but all of these folks are also probably a lot of small folk. Absolutely. I, I think that is the case, right? They're not trained, and now they have to suddenly learn real fast. They weren't supposed to have to go to war. 
Maester Lewin agrees that the fighting isn't going well and watches through his mirish lens, noting the comet in the sky. He says Roderick is still doing the right thing and drilling the boys, training new men to walk the walls. Rob and Ned had took the best of the North with them, and now it was time to create a new guard. Hmm. Bran, meanwhile, is full of resentment for the boys below, thinking if I had legs I'd beat them all. He remembers using a wooden sword to knock Tommen down and tells Lewin, I could work a pole axe if Roderick taught me. Lewin says it's unlikely that men use arms, legs, and thoughts as one when they fight. Bran's still gonna do that. Yeah, it sounds like Bran has really gotten that idea in his head. He's like, well, I can just like use Hodor's legs and I'll be the the arms and stuff, right? And we'll be one knight. And Lewin's like, uh, I don't really like that idea. Dia, you know, uh, I think <laughs> Lewin, at the very least, he keeps being like, Hodor can't live his life like this every time when it comes to things for Br- about Bran and how Bran's treating Hodor. Lewin every time is like, whoa, deep concern, deep concern, what's happening? Makes you think about Varamir, of course, and yeah. what happens in the end of his chapter. I mean, you drive people insane doing that to their mind. There's also a little bit here that kind of reminds me of John and his arc in A Game of Thrones, right? When Bran's like, I would beat all of them if I were out there. And it's like, yeah, because you've been like training how to fight for years and they're just learning right now. And also, is it that oh, yeah. impressive that you knocked down Tommen? Tommen's, I mean, I guess they're of similar age, but I'm also like, <laughs> he's also Tommen's a little kid. A sweet little doughboy. I yeah, love it. What do you want? Like, it's not that amazing. <laughs> Chill out, Bran. I know that he. I understand the resentment that he's feeling, right? Like, but I'm also just like, chill out. It's interesting because they're both coming from exactly what we just talked about. That like, they had a time of peace. You know, the whole goal was no more tyranny after everything we just bled, and no more war because we just bled far too hard to get this. And also, they were distant, and so you see how Tommen was raised in King's Landing, and you see how Bran was raised. You see the difference in the two boys. Absolutely. One, a very strong boy. The other, oh wait, no, wait, wait, shit, wrong story. Definitely reminds me of the broken man kind of ideal as well, right? Knowingly or unknowingly when you're sending someone else into battle to clash against another. Just that language of, and then the men send their men over, you know, like Red Rover style to go fuck the other men up. And it just like reminds me of that language of controlling people in war. Mm-hmm. Especially the Hodor is not a mule to do with as you wish. Yep. Bran, I really wish you had remembered this. <laughs> disappointed. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. We could be mad, depending on how it goes in later books. We'll see. Well, that's true. That's true. We need a book for that. There's no confirmation. I haven't read it yet. It's true. I like that they're talking about a pole axe. There is a lot of Duncan Egg in this chapter. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of little tidbits that I'm pulling out that I'm like, ah, they talk about that in Duncan Egg. And the pole axe is actually what Lucas Longinch wields oh. against Duck in the Sworn Sword. Yeah. And it's also, I think maybe a little more significantly to this, what Rob kills Karstark with. Hmm. Long Lou waited beside the block, but Rob took the pole axe from his hand and ordered him to step aside. This is my work. He dies at my word. He must die at my hand. And then Rob flung the pole axe down in disgust and turned wordless to the heart tree. He stood shaking with his hands half clenched and the rain running down his cheeks. Gods forgive him. I think it's a interesting choice. 
that's kind of one of the next bigger mentions of Poleaxe in the story. So there's a little connection with Rob using it. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because I also am like, at first I was like, why is Rob using a poleaxe and not the sword? And I was like, oh, that's right. His family ancestral sword gets stolen. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Would it come off much cleaner with a Valyrian cut? Oh, absolutely. Below, Roderick says, you fight like a goose. He pecks you. You peck harder. Block the blow. Bok. Bok. He pecks like a goose. He it, pecks you. It's not Bok. You peck harder. It's more like honk honk. Or Hong Kong. Affleck, Affleck. It's like the funniest line in this chapter because this <laughs> yeah, chapter is really sad. Yeah. There's only a couple of funny lines like Rickon and this one from Roderick. Oh, Roderick. Hysterical. Oh, Roderick. <laughs> All the boys in the yard laugh at Roderick too, just like me. And he's not joking. He comes upon them and he's cawing and he's like, you fight like a hedgehog. Caw, <laughs> caw, which I'm like, ooh, house high. Are you making fun of house high? Oh, Roderick. What a sweetheart. <laughs> So Bran also is like, hang on, loophole. There was a knight once who couldn't see, telling old Nan's tale of Simeon Star Eyes or Simon Star Eyes, depending on how you're feeling, who put sapphires in the empty eye sockets. Makes you wonder if, like, A, how long ago does the three-eyed crow go back? Mm -hmm. Like the concept of it. Yeah, the concept of it over time. Like, is it really... How passed down is it? Because obviously Blood Raven isn't the first. Like there was someone before him and someone before him and someone before them. Yada mm. yada. You know, we don't know how far it goes back. Because what if Simeon Star Eyes was one of the three eyed crows or one of the failed three eyed hmm. crows disciples? He has the symbolism with the eye, like Euron's smiling eye. And also he fought with a pole axe type weapon. He fought with a staff with blades on each end, which is like a double edged lightsaber. In my mind, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, so you're a Sith. He's part of that Sith energy, big Sith Lord energy, like Aemond and Euron, Aemond one eye and Euron with his smiling eye. But they all have that very similar sapphire eye imagery going on and losing an eye to gain something. And interesting, it makes you wonder or if both maybe. Eyes. Yeah, or both eyes. So, mm hmm. Interestingly, I was actually thinking of Death Note a little bit of like, you know, you have, you like have H-A-L-V-E, you have your life, and then you get a, you get Shinigami eyes. Equivalent exchange. Yeah, yeah, you get the Shinigami eyes and you can see like people's like death things. But anyways, so with this, I'm like on one hand, the whole idea of Simeon, star eyes, you know, if he was blind and can still like do this, I'm like, oh yeah, George loves superheroes and probably like, I don't know, likes Daredevil. And on the other hand, I'm also like, oh, foreshadowing for Arya. But also with what you're saying of how far back does this go, there's also the weird thing about Simon Sarai's of, A, what is it that he was blind and then was like using green seeing to see things around, like kind of like Arya? Or is this like a mistranslation that got lost over the years? Does he have sapphires? Especially because it says star eyes. Is he an other or something, right? That's interesting too. White. I've always wondered that. Yeah, yeah. We we don't know. Like there's like so many ways that his legend could go, which is really interesting. Oh, maybe he's cold hands. Maybe. That could be interesting too, right? Especially as you said with the Polax and the whole your monster. Yeah, monster. that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. But I also kind of think the uh you know, the every having everyone come back and everything come back is can be silly. So I know George isn't doing all of that of everybody is secretly this person or whatever. Yeah. That sounds silly. That was just a fun whatever. I'm having fun. I'm allowed. 
Eliana said so, even if she doesn't like my fun. <sighs> Lewin says, this is only a story, and you must put your dreams aside or they will break your heart. <laughs> oh, that's like us and this story yeah. breaking our hearts. My God. My God. We talked about this, I think, in much more depth, especially with Brienne's storyline and probably also Sansa's, but the idea of the dreams and the songs. It, on one hand, it's about like lower your expectations. Life's not like that. But then it's also like when you find out about the these dreams and what's behind them, right? They really break your heart. Like to for example, it turns out this dream, not having this dream come true, would not break your heart. But this dream actually would break your heart because it means that's it. Anyways, absolutely. <sighs> that's ah. Uh... It's weird. Yeah, it's like one of those catch-22 double-edged poleaxe. Oh, uh, no. Double-edged. <laughs> right, though, but it is double-edged. It's like it's interesting because everything Lewin says in this chapter is almost all true. And then he's like, anyways, none of it's true. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, wait, but what if all of it's true? Uh, instead, Bran gives his latest dream, a crow flying to his chamber with three eyes taking him to find his father who was in the crypts, and it was very sad. And he remembers it was something to do about John, I think. Wait a second. What could it have to do about John, Bran? I'm like, this is crazy because this is before he's fully developed and before he's doing seer things, and he knows. He doesn't know, but it's another repressed little thought in his head. Ned told him in his dream, is this Ned's consciousness? Is he getting a memory from Ned? Is he connecting to Ned's memories? What is he doing? This is actually kind of insane when you read it. He was literally being told about John, but can't remember or understand. What? What? I couldn't tell, like, is it like, was he talking to Ned in it and Ned was telling him, or is it like a, you know, like an empath thing? Like, they're kind of like melding, right? And then he can feel mm -hmm. like his dad is sad about John, right? And feeling the thing. You know? Especially that it was in the crypts, though, which yeah. is such a linked place for them. Mm. I mean, that's that's their entire... Uh, the crypts are the Starks, and here he is soon looking at all these Starks, right, when they go there. Even his conscience and his soul, that's where it would return to. Yeah. His consciousness and his soul would return to the crypts. There's something. That line just is something that I think... I'm sure it stood out before to me, but that this time around, I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's like one of those places, right? Especially there, maybe it's one of those places where like the barrier between the worlds or like the living and the dead is much thinner or something. Because like we've seen the very yeah. near prologue, like after he dies, he goes into the earth and comes back out before like going back into uh, one of the wolves. And so maybe like this is one of those places where yeah, souls go, but also, I mean, it's fine. It's fine that we, his bones never reach Winterfell, right? Yeah, he's there anyways already. Well, yeah, because Winterfell's not just like it's not just a place. Well, I'm just you like, know, who it's cares not if just we never physically find his a place. Bones. I'm joking. I, I hope we find Ned's bones. It's important. I hope we. But find his bones. I mean, as you and I have talked about, that is like it's for the humans that are alive that yeah. need those more than he does. That is true. Ugh, sorry. Ugh. Death is sad. Okay. Yeah, death is real sad. We're real into death these days, so you guys should check out our grief episode oh, on yeah. A Song of Ice and Fire on Patreon, because oh, that yeah. is just, 
You want to hear us just cackle in a really low voice about death? Very seriously, though, for like two hours, you should. It's a good ho- It's a good October Halloween episode. A real scream. Oh, well, kind of. So this dream was more disturbing than most of the other dreams, but Lewin only half listens, Bran can tell. Bran tells him that Hodor won't go into the crypts, that he was afraid of the dark, even with the torch. I'm like, mm. Bran had always been frustrated, and he's like wanting to give him a swat in the head, like old Nan is always doing. Concerned face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bran, do not do that. It is not right to hit Hodor in the head. You should not. That, well, and there you go. Another instance of him kind of violating Hodor's personal boundaries and consent, because he doesn't get any of those things. He just doesn't understand them. Well, Lewin has to remind him, like, he's like, Hodor's not an animal. He's a man, right? Like, he says to him, he's mm-hmm. a man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hard to remind him sometimes. And that line starts to get blurrier for him on people and animals. Oh, that's true. Mm. I have to say, it's called clout. <laughs> you want to clout him, Bran, because I have read Duncan Egg. Uh, but seriously, did you know that clout is only used nine times in the main series and 31 times in Dunkin' Egg? That's insane. Interesting. Yeah, he really got into clouts when it came to Dunkin' Egg. It's in a chapter for Arya when she is posing as Aerie, I want to say, as a boy. Yeah. So very egg-like when she's basically egg in the Riverlands. So Lewin tries to understand why Bran would try to go to the crypts, and Bran is frustrated, trying to explain, like, I'm trying to... Go to find father. And Lewin tells him, like, you need to chill. That one day, Eddard will be stone, like his forefathers, or, I don't know, his wife. But for now, he's in King's Landing. Bran says that, no, he was there last night, and I talked to him. And Lewin calls him stubborn, offering, you know what, fine, we'll go down to see if it's true. But Hodor still refuses to go. The steps are too narrow also for Dancer. The, the horse. So Lewin just summons Osha, who is tall, tough, and uncomplaining, and able to take him down. And I'm like, what is up with the crypts and Hodor? Like, I don't think it's just, like, the darkness. I'm wondering, is, like, is the door here? I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. I I really think that the door will be at the cave, but it would be maybe more meaningful if it could be the crypts, if Hodor could protect them at the crypts. And horrifyingly bad like it would also hurt me Hodorifyingly bad oh my god uh, i probably have like tv brain rot though you know that i just think it'll be beyond the wall i hope it can be at winterfell so we could at least die at winterfell but there's ghosts in there i mean that's yeah. the, the other side of it there's definitely spirits down in those crypts it'd be interesting if hodor is i don't know much more spiritually attuned to mm-hmm. so they go down Summer follows behind and abandons the bone that he was eating. Osha is still wearing the little shackles, but they've struck the chains off to show that she's still in servitude, but, you know, for her good behavior. So Lewin carries the torch, and Bran remembers another time when he was younger, and when he would play with his sisters and Rob and John down in the vault. And, you know, this is a thing that happens. Like, I think, I did I share the, the, the story here about the time that I was at a wedding? I was playing along the walls of this church or whatever, and then someone comes over and they're like, I don't think you want to play on those. That These are, there are dead bodies in that wall. Like, it's like a, it was a crypt or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, oh God. <laughs> Anyways, 
it happens. So there's chain the the whole thing with Osha though, right? It's interesting that her movement isn't really impaired anymore, right? Because they just kept the shackle on as a symbol of her still being in servitude to Winterfell. And she kind of has Telling others not to trust her. Yeah. She's like in this space where I mean, if Osha really wanted, I think she could get away. She could like escape and get her freedom. Absolutely. And we see her being very capable in clash but you have that and you have these like that idea of chains and servitude right and and the maesters but also the kind of servitude where it's not as evident in that same way for example things like the king's guard right or or the night's watch and it's really something to think about um i'll come back to it in in a bit with maester lewin though it's kind of sad because also it's like at this time right now with how serious everything is Lewin is like very skeptical as we know of magic and mm-hmm. so she's obviously not playing to his good side by doing all the magic talking she does in this chapter but she's telling him what she thinks is the truth and I think that's more important. No, they shouldn't have tried to, you know, murder Bran, but you can see they're running from fucking zombies so I'm kind of thinking they're in a different frame of mind than the little prince lordling and his maester from Winterfell, okay? They have a very different reason for what they're doing and I don't know, I'm like Osha just seems like she proved herself by now. Yeah, and I but think that's I get it. I'm yeah. more forgiving, maybe, than most. I get it. I, I think get that it. they do think that, but yeah, because like she basically it's just like a symbol, right? Because she's strong enough to walk around with it, but agreed that she... I guess there's also like the aspect of and this is kind of like a, a controversial take, and I'm not saying that it's right, but it's like, does her having the symbol of servitude right or is it meant to be a shield for her being of the free folk south of the wall she's sworn so, to, to winterfell right those kinds of things yeah and it also protects her in that they know that she's a stark prisoner yeah therefore i mean she's not open for anyone to execute yeah we see throughout the next handfuls of chapters and especially in clash how important it becomes who has you prisoner? Yeah. You can be treated very different as a hostage if you are a hostage of Ramsay Bolton, for example. Oh, interesting. No, I should say. <laughs> I like Bolton. Or, <laughs> you know, me, I'm out here propaganda with the Boltons. You know, Ramsay is a much different person to hold you hostage than, say, Cersei, in many yeah. ways, is a different person. And then, say, Theon with Bran. And, you know, there's just different, different situations. Yeah, but th- yeah, that's interesting with Cersei and because Sansa doesn't really wear any markers of being a prisoner, but she is one. In a way, though, I mean, dresses, the the dress yeah. she gets in Storm of Swords that's is true. so exciting because she hadn't had a new dress in so long. And she obviously doesn't have her own money in her own hand, first of all. So she's not going to be able to go buy her own dress, but Cersei still has to clothe her as she complains about in A Feast for Crows, right? When she's like, I fed her, I clothed her. But Sansa's like... I haven't had new clothes in like two years and my boobs are getting big and it really sucks. And then she's like, wow, I love this new dress. And she really looks at it and she's like, oh God, I hate this new dress. Talk about a real trapping of power. Well, the scene they're at is grim. Osha says so, looking at these statues. Summer bares his teeth and his eyes glow golden. They were the kings in the north for thousands of years. Hard men for a hard time. Come. The vault is cavernous. According to John, holds more caverns beneath, where other kings were laid to rest. Lewin tells Bran to give Osha his own version of the history, and 
So Bran just like goes and he recites a shit ton of the kings, just like he was taught. For example, John Stark drove sea raiders off in the east, building a castle at White Harbor. His son, Rickard Stark, not that Rickard, who took the neck from the Marsh King, marrying his daughter. There's Theon Stark, the hungry wolf who was always at war. Sounds familiar. Hmm. Another is Brandon, with a dreamy face Ooh. called the Shipwright, who tried to sail west across the Sunset Sea but was never seen again. Dreamy. Not unlike Alyssa Farman, or who knows. His son was Brandon the Burner, torching his father's ships in grief. Roderick Stark won Bear Island in a wrestling match and gave it to the Mormonts, and Torin Stark was the king who knelt, the last king in the north. Who, who, did, who did Roderick win it from? Isn't that interesting? From bears? I don't know. I hope so. I don't know. I just realized that I've never, I've never like considered who did he win that from. We just don't know, but I would love to. <laughs> I don't think we know. I'm gonna look while you read the next part. Though. Then we have Cregan Stark, who fought with Prince Aemon the Dragon Knight and called him a great foe. I don't think that's the only thing Cregan's known for. Bran- <laughs> George obviously hadn't fleshed this out. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't. Bran gets towards the end now. Actually, I don't even know if that timing makes sense now that I think about it. Must be a different Cregan, right? Mm-hmm. Bran gets towards the end now, and sadness creeps over him as he points out Lord Rickard, who's beheaded by the Mad King and his daughter, Lyanna, and his daughter, Brandon. They weren't supposed to have statues. It's only for the lords and the kings, but his father loved them so much he did it anyway. <laughs> I will tell you, there is actually a very crazy history for Bear Island, and it is split between the Iron Men and North Men. It's been disputed mm. between the two for years, which is what we get a lot of, as we talked about in Asha chapters, back and forth with her and Alisane Mormont. Thousands of years ago, House Woodfoot ruled it before the Ironborn came. The Harfoots? And the Iron Men. I know, right? <laughs> oh my god. The Iron Men take it. And then it becomes a reaving base for Ravos Hor, the son of Herig Hor, the king of the Iron Islands. Then Theon Stark drives them, slaying Ravos. Then King Loren Greyjoy retakes it, but it is lost to them after the old Kraken's death. And that's when King Roderick Stark is said to have won it in a wrestling match. So that that one scholars are skeptical of. We find out in uh, okay. in the world of Ice and Fire, actually, they say scholars are skeptical of this story. Uh, and this would have occurred, like, well, and that's the thing, it must have been some Northmen. Now, this would have occurred a century after Gerald Lannister, the King of the Rock, raided the Iron Islands. Mm. Okay, interesting. And then it goes, it goes on and on from there, obviously. Alyssa Farman actually sailed there by the age of 20. Hmm. Interesting, yeah. I'm just like, well, as you said, right, it was lost to the Krakens, and so there's like a gap. Mm-hmm. Who who was he wrestling? <sighs> anyway, well, in the historians saying like, but historians debate that is interesting to me too. What does that mean? I mean, I, I it makes sense, right? Like, there's a lot of obviously, like that seems a little silly that he won a whole ass island in a wrestling match, right? That's something for the tales, but. Mm-hmm. It seems like a better way to do things, honestly, in terms of <laughs> let's send one person out and figure it out that way. Anyway. This and ladies with swords and lakes, my friend. Absolutely. Why don't we just do that? But I don't know. Basically, all of this is just world building and exposition. Very fun. Very exciting. Great job, George. We live in a world. You made a society. 
I also think it's funny. Oh, she's so polite. She's so nice. You know, she's just like, okay, sure. Yeah, fine. I'll listen to the whole family history. But I mean, maybe it's interesting. What else are people going to do, right? They don't got cell phones. Mm -hmm. They don't got television. And they have to talk. Yeah, they have to like actually talk to each other. It's kind of bullshit. And (laughs) but, you know, it's kind of in a way sweet, right? Like they share a lot of this about themselves and then their family. The chapter is about sharing stories share and sharing your histories right your culture with one another in a way and so it's kind of beautiful because when it comes to the children of the forest as we find later on and those stories behind it and the first men osha's stories make it clear that it is a shared history between their people both north of the wall and here at winterfell yeah i'd love that i mean brand's arc becomes about stories yeah right who has the best story Oh my god. <laughs> it's I was talking about a storm of swords and a clash of kings with the stories from the reeds and the stories that he learns as he goes north and the stories he gets from the three-eyed crow and all these stories that culminate for him to help, you know, keep it alive, keep magic alive. Yeah. I believe in bran fairies. But yeah, you could just talk about season eight if you want to, Eliana. Sure, why not? You just... Uh, so Osha says... Liana's pretty, and Bran explains she was supposed to marry Robert, but Rhaegar carried her off. You know, the most just chipper little, I'm a British lad voice is what I think of in my head. Maybe it's a little, you know, please can I have another, but Robert fought a war to win her back. He killed Rhaegar on the trident with his hammer, but Liana died and he never got her back at all. A sad tale, said Osha, but those empty holes are sadder. That's so true, Osha, Basti. I love the language surrounding Liana always in A Game of Thrones. There's so much Liana exposition. There's so much R plus L equals J exposition in this fucking book that every time I read it, I find more. This chapter alone, there's tons that comes up, right? He was sad about John, right? What does it mean? Later in A Storm of Swords, of course, we'll get that's a sadder story about her. Just a chapter or two ago, or chapter or two, just a handful or seven of chapters ago, we get Ned and Arya, where he tells her that she was beautiful, willful, dead before her time. And, of course, the last uttered chapter that we kind of glossed over in the lightning round, uttered 15, we have this bit. Ned Stark reached out his hand to grasp the flowery crown, but beneath the pale blue petals the thorns lay hidden, He felt them clawing at his skin, sharp and cruel, saw the slow trickle of blood run down his fingers and woke, trembling in the dark. Promise me, Ned, his sister had whispered from her bed of blood. She had loved the scent of winter roses. God save me, Ned wept. I'm going mad. It makes sense that, honestly, that those seeds that were just laid for him seeing his father in the crypt, and his father saying something, and all these repressed memories that he's dealing with now, right? From Jamie Lannister to whatever his dad said. Yeah. It makes sense that some of these reveals will come through Bran's plot when he's very connected through the Weirwood and maybe more receptive and maybe in the Winds of Winter, right? Those those beginning chapters, especially in this book, are so heavily entwined with John and some of the Tyrion stuff. Yeah, and I think part of it is like, obviously it makes sense to set up so much of that Rhaegar and Lyanna stuff and in this book, not only is it like because so much of it is in by virtue of Ned being the only one who knows and it being there, but how it moves through brands, it it's because it was supposed to be a trilogy. 
and it makes mm-hmm. sense to have yes so, yes yeah but like literally from like a structural standpoint um it makes a lot of sense i think there's so much to take out of this book for how simple it can be and i don't mean that in a cruel way i mean it in like it's so funny because its themes are so overarching and big and they encompass so much of the story going forward like this book has such crucial themes but also it's so every chapter is so skinny in my opinion like this book is such a breeze to get through i'm having a great time but we are covering this mostly during a show season so yeah i've enjoyed a game of thrones again i missed it every time we go back to a game of thrones i feel young again i'm like oh the times were simpler themes were louder (sighs) things were shorter (laughs) so osha of course is pointing at lord eddard's tomb which is where bran had seen ned in his dream Hmm. And the hair on the back of his neck stands up, and Lewin steps towards the open sepulcher and shows him that no one is here, and that Ned won't be either for many a year. Uh, uh, true. He Maybe. says, "Not wrong." He says, "Dreams are only dreams, child." But as he says this, out springs Shaggy Dog with his like crazy green eyes, snarling, and Lewin throws his torch in the air, which flies off of Brandon's statue. It turns out that dreams are not only just dreams. I just want to make sure we're all aligned. Uh, And Shaggy Dog especially is like, how dare you? How dare you say that, Lewin? He struggles to get Shaggy off of him, and Bran calls Summer to help. Summer rolls into Shaggy, and they're fighting, and Osha props Bran against Lord Rickard's statue while she goes to help the maester. In the light of the guttering torch, shadow wolves 20 feet tall fought on the wall and roof. I love this because it's our first Stark shadow on the wall, right? Shadow on the wall. Shadows can kill, and oft times a very small man can cast a very large shadow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Another thing, like, now that you pointed that out, it reminded me of the shadows dancing in Danny's tent in a, yes. few, in a few moments, which I always, I was like, oh, is that, like, about, you know... Because there's like a man and like the fire and stuff. And I was like, oh, is that about mm-hmm. Brandon and and Rickard also? I don't know, but um, probably not. But oh. it still reminds me of those shadows dancing in Danny's tent very soon. Oh, when... that's awful, actually, that you could say that because the wolves inflamed. Oh, you're horrible. You're a bad person. You're a mean person. Well, in the tent, it's, yeah, like, because like in the tent, she's taking down the veil, right? Between the... Mm-hmm. The, the worlds. worlds of the living and the dead, right, in order to kind of bring someone back to life. So I think that there's, I mean, it's possible that like those are the ghosts, right, dancing in the tent, and that's what we're told. But I, we don't know who's ghost. Like who was wrestled? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, and then shadow wolves, wolves here that are engulfed mm. with flame below them, like Brandon and Rickard too. Oh, and very sad. Twenty. That's. Oh wait, no, that's twenty feet tall. Sorry. Not 20 good shadows? I mean, I was like, maybe. <laughs> I was like, 20 oh my good wolves. God. I was there already. Because I was like, because, you know, George has that comment of like, you don't hang a wolf pack on the wall, lowercase w, right? In, in reference to Chekhov's mm-hmm. gun and Chekhov's wolf pack. And I was like, maybe Nymeria is running around with 20 good wolves. I, I don't feel think like so. you could see. Well, I, I feel like if we get the, the gang back together again, you know, for the old long night. Shadow wolves fighting on the wall and roof in the light of the guttering torch. That's not too far off if we've got a couple wolves left, right? You got ghost, maybe summer, that is maybe shadowy. Nymeria. Yeah, he's like that a white cool. shadow, isn't he? Isn't he described as a white shadow? Yeah, a lot. He is. 
Yeah. That's, that's gotta mean something. Mean something. Fought on the wall. Hmm. Anyways, yeah, I don't know. There might be more than 20 wolves, though, in Nymeria. I bet there's, like, way more than that. Or I hope so. Give us, like, give us... Give us the enormous wolf pack, George. Anyways. Because you know what? Because you know what? Because you know what? The wolves will come again. Yes. I dreamt it. <gasps> I fucking dreamt it because dreams are real. Dreams are real. Dreams are real. Dreams are, real. <laughs> dreams are so fucking real, bro. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I'm so sick of us. Why are we this way? Dreams are so real. Rick and calls to Shaggy, standing in the mouth of their father's tomb, and warns Lewin to leave Father B. Bran explains to him that Father wasn't there, but Rickon declares as he's crying, like, he is, he is, I saw him in my dream last night. And then there's, like, him crying even more with, he's coming home now, like he promised, he's coming home. Oh, Rickon, you emotional little babby. Yeah. Ned's gotta stop making promises, because... You know, promise me, promise me. Pro- the, he promised, really stood out. I'm like, of course he did. That's what Ned does. He makes promises. It's also interesting, like, do you, I mean, Shaggy knows because Shaggy knows that Rickon had the same dream as Bran because Shaggy probably somehow was connected through the mind thing. The mind schism of the wolves. They do have one. They're partners. Yeah, they have a mind brain connection. Obviously, Shaggy is like, I have to protect this to keep it safe so that Ned can return. And again, I don't think it's just Bones returning. Like, I think Shaggy is also warding off so that his spirit can safely return to its resting place. And because he, like, has that connection. Shaggy Dog also, whether or not they understand it, because Babby, but like, (laughs) yeah, no, they have it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's totally a thing. I like that idea. I haven't thought about like Shaggy is protecting this place for the soul to return to. (laughs) It's really interesting. And like, I don't know, I kind of wonder, it's kind of implied, right, that we've discussed Rob was likely a pretty skilled skin changer or Borg, right? We see Mm -hmm. John is one, obviously. And the brand's got some extra things on going on there too. And I wonder, did Rick and like, did the three-eyed crow be like, uh, this is interesting. Maybe this child who has a strong bond, right, with um, with the wolf. Like, I wonder, like, is it easier or something with the younger they are when, when they're children because they have less of those, you know, we were talking about barriers and veils a lot, right? Like the less of the sense of self and can therefore like be tapped into early when it comes to green seeing but also they were were they like i don't know rickon's just a little too young he doesn't have enough of a sense of self and like structure for him to be the next chosen one yeah he's not even there yet hmm it's interesting i wonder if he'll get a chance to be expanding that off the page when we meet him with davos oh Um, yeah yeah it's really interesting because i think he'll have Rob Stark plot again in that way. Maybe just that he has a better connection with his wolf because he's gone to this ancient kind yeah. of aisle with these people who understand and believe in blood sacrifice and <laughs> to an extent and certain things happening there. Well, very much becoming one with other flushes, you know, including each other. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And also the connection to nature and everything going on there in the earth. And also, I we've discussed this a lot before, right, with cannibalism and the idea of, like, the the beliefs for people who have cannibalistic societies and use it as a more ritual thing. Like, the dead become a part of you. Like, are they maybe a little bit more better at, like, communing with the dead? Again, speaking about the two worlds. I really like what you are saying about 
that kind of spiritual plane, the veil between the worlds that they're really existing on right now, and that they're able to access it. I think the Verimir chapter is a strong proponent for that and reapplying it here after reading it so recently. That is kind Mm -hmm. of why we put them next to one another. I knew we'd come up with some interesting parallels in the long run, but this is really bringing a lot of it out. Yeah, sometimes our orders make sense. They always do, uh, but sometimes they're just... I think they do always. It's right there. It's right there. (laughs) Bran sees that Lewin is uncertain. His arm is dripping blood. And Lewin asks for the torch and says, that beast is supposed to be chained up. And Rickon says, I let him loose. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't like chains, Rickon says. He pets Shaggy and Shaggy... Okay, so... The way it reads to me is that Shaggy is licking Rickon's fingers, but (laughs) I've seen other people discuss that it could be taken another way, because he says, Rickon patted Shaggy Dog's muzzle, damp with blood. He licked at his fingers. What do you mean? And with, like, some, I take it as Shaggy Dog was licking Rickon's fingers like dogs do, and that Shaggy was licking the blood off his hands. And you're saying some people read it as Rickon licking his own yeah. fingers. That's funny, because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I thought this was going to be a joke about Shaggy licking his, like, wolf fingers. Kind of like in uh, the hot dog fingers With- and everything. <laughs> all oh my once. god. Or like the, the... <sighs> anyways, um... I mean, we see Grey Wind likes fingers. I think it is Shaggy licking. I mean, all dogs, yeah. right? All all an- dogs, even your cats sometimes, you know, if the yeah, fingers taste it. good enough with something on them, they will lick them. And blood is delicious. So I, but other people thought Rickon was licking his own fingers, which I was like, hmm. Now that said, either way, this has like intense cannibalism imagery, like of the the blood and the Rickon totally being sure. <laughs> Rickon is so desensitized. He's like, cool, yeah, yeah, Shaggy, and rubs his muzzle, and then Shaggy licks his hands or whatever. But interesting, interesting things to consider. Well, that is for perception. Yeah, with what you were saying of where Rickon ends up. Not to be a nerd, but like the way it's so it's like Rickon patted Shaggy Dog's muzzle damp with blood. I let him loose. He doesn't like chains. He licked at his fingers. It it could be Rickon licking at his fingers now that I read it again. I think yeah. Because of the Rickon to he pipeline here, but I do think it's I don't know. Shaggy Dog, but this isn't the only time. Like I think especially in a Game of Thrones, but it does happen in some of the other books. Like George mm-hmm. does have some of his hanging pronouns and things do get very murky. Like there have been times even when I've been like, who's saying this? Like who's doing this? And, and I ask you and you're like, I think it's this, but it know. like does get confusing. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those. It's definitely one of those. It's hard to keep things like, you know, I mean, he's, it's like a bazillion pages in words. I understand that, you know, he's going to slip and maybe people aren't supposed to be doing podcasts yeah. about reading this book 20 times. I don't know. Whatever. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> well, Weigh in, you know, let me know what you all at home are thinking if you think that Rickon is licking his own bloody fingers or Shaggy. I think it's very more logical, much more way logic, very logic. Wow. Going on to have Shaggy Dog do it. But maybe Rickon's into that. Who knows? He's into Lewin's blood. (laughs) I want chicken fingers now. Um, I'm hungry. Stop. I know. <laughs> let's move. Let's move. Let's we gotta go. eat. Come on. Chloe <laughs> and I gotta eat. All right. So Bran tries to get Rickon and Shaggy Dog to walk with him, but Rickon is like, no, I'm waiting for our father. Bran says, okay, you know what? Let's wait together. Us and the wolves. And Lewin says, no, no, no. Shaggy's just too wild to be loose. And 
that he's merely the third person who's been savaged by Shaggy Dog, which I'm like, Lewin kind of has a point, but also it's there's no way they're going to get Rick into acquiesce. So we have this this whole thing where the truth is hard, but the wolf has to be chained or he hesitated or killed, Bran thought. But what he said was, he was not made for chains. We will wait in your tower, all of us. What a king. King Bran. Wow. Good for him. Um, It reminds me so... I've been thinking about it the past couple weeks. Of course, Daenerys, right? Chaining her dragons. And there's that line in A Dance with Dragons. I am the blood of the dragon, she told the grass aloud. Once the grass whispered back, until you chained your dragons in the dark. Mm. Bran already is imprisoned and chained in his own body. And to an extent, obviously, Summer is part of him and he is part of summer and he can walk through summer but he doesn't quite know how yet and chaining them i think also probably would restrain the power right the the connection and the bond between them not unlike how danny kind of is feeling by chaining her own dragons in that part of herself obviously glossing over the the obvious like oh i'm a prisoner of myself chains motif going on in this chapter but Mm, yeah yeah but i i do like what you're saying right the whole chasing like how danny is insists right that a dragon is not a slave right we see that especially in the third book when she's like you gotta unchain brand unchained um unleash the d but yeah like there's definitely something there and we see in the past few chapters he's felt chained not even just by like his body but by other people telling him what he can and cannot do with it Mm -hmm. lewin argues but osha grins and says that you know what He's the Lordling, and she scoops Bran up, and they head toward the Maester's Tower. Bran asks if Rickon will come, and Rickon says only if Shaggy will, so up they all go. Good news, good news. Direwolves are not like cows, they're into stairs. Oh, that's true. Cows don't do stairs, huh? Not down, usually. Mm-hmm. So, again, the, as we've been talking about with the Maesters and Binding, right? Maester Lewin does wear chains around his neck, as we see this is a source of much trauma for Sam. But they are supposed to serve. It's something that's discussed a lot with Book 5. And Lewin, you know, he's part of the people who argued, like, yeah, Osha should have a little bit more freedom. But he himself, right, also kind of only has the illusion of freedom. He has to listen to what a fucking little kid says. It's a very clever move by Osha, especially as they have kind of some fighting tensions. And it's a very clever way for her to be like, hmm, interesting. Tell us about your anti-magic policies, Lewin. (laughs) I win. Well, I think part of it is like just because like Lewin is so hurt, right? Remember, he really wanted magic to be real. And then... uh. He's like, no, magic's not real. I know it's not. Big sad. I bet he would have been super I, jazzed if it were real. I would love, I, if only Lewin was, wasn't gone, I would love a story or a, a POV giving info about the time that he got so disillusioned by magic when they beat it out of him at the Citadel. I gotta know. I would love to know. Oh, Lewin. I love Lewin. It's really interesting because he's actually learned He's earned his Valyrian steel link. He's one of the few that have. So Be- he passed. That means he that he actually passed. Yeah. Yeah, he passed because uh, he loved magic enough that he wanted to give it a try. And then it was like... That's really interesting to have that because that's a lot to go through to get that. He's just like us for real, for real, you know? 
big nerd. And part of what makes that clear is his apartment, which is cluttered and full of books, chairs, candle stubs, jars, star charts, shadow maps, inks, quills, paper, all of it punctuated. This is not like me. I'm sorry. All of it is punctuated by raven droppings as they go. I do not keep like bird shit all over. That's not like me at all. But all of the, the papers and the books everywhere, I was like, is this like Philip Pullman's office? he's like if there's a surface i have to put something on it (laughs) i'm not over it i'm not over it yeah he's kind of i'm very cluttered so i really respect that about him i work best in my own creative cluttered environment but i do wonder if it's a reference to th white's merlin because Mm. his apartments are always a clutter with like magic-y scrolls and quills and yeah probably yeah probably yeah there's a lot of uh once in future King references going on. I don't know what that's about, but yes, yes. I know that that's a big influence, though, on George. So Yeah, the Once in Future King. I, you should read some T.H. White. I think you I might like it. probably should, yeah. Osha has a lot of practical skills. For example, she helps wash and bandage Lewin's arm for him. And Lewin tells them that while their, you know, identical wolf dreams of their father do seem very related, it must be impossible for them to be you just like both really miss your father and that's coming through in your dreams he says that Rickon is just too understand too young to understand it but Rickon says to finally I'm four now which shows us a little bit of that's just you know the exposition passage of time going on in this story but he says that Bran is old enough to know that dreams are only dreams Osha argues well some are some aren't that the children of the forest could tell you a thing or two about dreaming Lewin says that they live only in the dreams whoa commanding Osha to wrap the bandage up now, and Bran says that old Nan told him the children knew the songs of the trees, that they could fly like birds and swim like fish and speak to animals, that they made music so beautiful it made you cry just to hear it. Kind of like Rhaegar. Oh, yeah. The wolf maid sniffling. (laughs) Mm. I'm curious if George at all was thinking of Mildred D. Taylor's novellas which are like a trilogy of novellas actually from 1975 about the logan family in particular the song of the trees i want to say i read this back in like 1975 middle school or something yeah Yeah. basically (laughs) uh back in middle school maybe or i think it was middle school but basically it follows a family who has trees growing on their land and the kids kind of talk about these trees being the magic of their childhood basically and that the trees used to sing in the background when they played Mm. But it turns out their family had kind of fallen on some tough times and had to, I mean, there's a lot of good themes of like racial inequalities going on and fiscally like innocence, innocence lost and some crazy tensions. But the man is basically taking their trees down and cutting them down. The parents are holding like this a secret, like the family from the kids has been holding it a secret that they're like, no, you can't go out there because the men are cutting down the trees, but they're, they have to like. To feed the family. So it's this great themes of innocence, themes of loss, blah, 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 blah. The kids end up learning a lot of horrible, like, hard way lessons because they, like, try to fight the men that are cutting the trees on their lot. And there's a bunch of horrible, sad parts. But there's this little passage that it makes me think of. In the cold of winter, when the ground lay frozen, they had sung their frosty ballads of years gone by. Or on a muggy, sweat-drenched day, their leaves had rippled softly lazily like restless green fingers strumming at a guitar echoing their epic tales but now they would sing no more they lay forever silent on the ground those trees that remained standing were like defeated warriors mourning their fallen dead but they 
too, would fall, for the white X's had been placed on nearly every one. Oh, dear, dear trees, I cried as the gray light of the rising sun fell in ghostly shadows over the land. The tears rolled hot down my cheeks. Mama held me close, and when I felt her body tremble, I knew she was crying too. Wow. Right? Emotional shit and beautiful. Really beautiful. It's it's only like 12 pages. You should read it. It's a great oh, novella. Okay. Yeah, it's very... It's like three novellas. I guess I'll just read it, but also, is it like... So, is it a fantasy, or is this like about the lumber business? Basically, the like, latter. It's the latter. It's okay. that children seeing things as fan or like how children visualizing it as fantasy because it's kind of told from the gotcha. children's lens but gotcha. the real adult things are happening around and us reading it who may or may not be adults have to like translate oh because this is capitalism in real life and their home is being destroyed and taken from them and they're being taken from their beautiful land that they love so much in order to supply that they have to stay alive somehow so mm-hmm. you know yeah absolutely Depressing. Yeah, I kind of wonder. There's might be something to it there because George obviously like does think about these things, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like George has read more books than I have, to be quite honest. So he's had he's, he's had time. A, he's had a head start. Yeah, yeah, he has a head start. But it does make me think of that with the trees all being cut down and the magic being taken away and the children's story. Yeah. <sighs> well, Lewin tells Bran that they used to know this magic. Yes, the, that magic used to be full in the trees for the children. He gives Bran a lesson, though, and says that the man who trusts in spells is dueling with a glass sword as they did. He shows him obsidian arrowheads, which Ocean names as dragon glass. Lewin says they were forged in the fires of the gods below the earth, and the children of the forest used to hunt with them. The children worked no metal. In place of mail, they wore long shirts of woven leaves and bound their legs in bark, so they seemed to melt into the wood. In place of swords, they carried blades of obsidian. And still do, Osha says. It is interesting. Like, I I still, like, don't think it's gonna go exactly how it went in the show when it comes to the creation of the others and Obsidian. But, like, obviously you're seeing some, like, little things there showing how or why Obsidian would be significant to the others. But, I don't know, just because it means that they were using them before... Though, likely they weren't using them as swords, but as knives. I don't know that, like, obsidian has enough integrity, right? Or structural integrity, um, which is why you shouldn't trust in it. And that's used as this metaphor here. But probably still, like, as knives and arrowheads as we see. And it's interesting that Bran takes one, but um, I wonder what happens with that. And, yeah, we don't get that revealed till book three. The others, though, they don't actually appear in Westeros... As far as we know, from what we know of the histories, which could, of course, be wrong, until thousands of years after the pact between the Children of the Forest and the First Men is signed, allegedly, according to the timelines that we have in those. But Sam has also pointed out a lot of these timings are wrong. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. If you want to understand more about how these timelines of history are wrong, you should watch The Rings of Power, because they take... (sighs) an entire history written out and condense it to a couple thousand years, I hear. So I don't know. I don't really actually care personally. I just know that's that's kind of the same thing, right? Like that's, if you wanted to understand that, the Rings of Power did that. They condensed like thousands of years into 
a handful and they were like, here you go. This is what happened in all of time. And now here we are the end. And that's kind of what these histories read like. And yeah, there's something interesting about how and when that happened. And I mean, how long has the world been happening? That's, we just don't know. What's true? What's not? Histories are passed down. Uh, I mean, they become fables. They become metaphors. They become similes. Yeah. At least we have carbon dating nowadays. Hallelujah. Someone in a thousand years when the world is just a magma fireball floating through space is going to somehow find nothing. Yeah, probably. (sighs) Maybe it'll be stored in the cloud. (laughs) (laughs) I've worried about that. You know, like, sorry, now I'm going to go on my mini tirade so everyone knows. Animation is important. Art is important. Okay. And it just sucks that like entire like stories and shows can just be wiped out because they're like oh no one can like watch this show anymore because uh of this merger and it's a tax write-off and i'm like what the fuck so fragile anyway bran holds the arrowheads asking if he can keep one rickon wants four because he's four so lewin <laughs> makes him count them out Aww. to do so bran asks lewin to tell him about the children saying it's important so lewin does they are people of the dawn age before kings and kingdoms, cities, holdfasts, and markets. Dark, beautiful, small, no taller than children. They lived in the woods, caves, crannogs, and tree towns, hunting together with weirwood bows and flying snares. They worshipped the gods of the forest, the streams, the stone, the old gods with their names a secret. They named their wise men green seers and carved faces in the weirwoods to keep watch on the wood. No one knows how long they ruled or when they came, but 12,000 years ago, the first men appeared with bronze swords and great shields on horse. Horses had never been seen in Westeros before. So yes, there's a lot about like the different migrations into Westeros that are meant to be reminiscent of like, you know, the Celtics and then like the, I don't know, the other invasions like the Normans and, uh, hold on. You know, the other, like, Germanic tribes and, like, the indigenous Britons, etc. Right? That's obviously something that's, like, being played with here with, like, the children, then the first and the Dornish. I also think, though, like, we can see that George is pulling a little bit. He likes to mishmash things from all over the world, right? Like, the whole idea that horses have never been seen in Westeros is very much channeling that idea of European colonizers um, coming to the new world, etc., and like especially the conquistadors and colonization. Uh, for example, like so allegedly, and again, this is a, this history history is murky in real life as well, right? Um, and the carbon dating is actually helping us try to unravel that a bit more. But horses did used to exist in North America, like thousands, tens of thousands of years ago. Then apparently there was allegedly a huge extinction event that got rid of like a lot of the megafauna including like horses and then allegedly horses returned when the spaniards the spanish came back but there's also some research that is showing now that it's possible that you know like when when the horses returned they're actually apparently like native to this area or whatever like but apparently when the carbon dating of things is showing that maybe indigenous people actually had a long history with horses even before the europeans 
showed up and that they kind of maybe rewrote some of that history and like made it seem like they brought horses over due to horses being seen as a status symbol among the Spaniards. But like, I don't know yet, right? I haven't seen that like from many sources, but of course history changes all the time. Like our understanding of things change all the time. Like how we now know that dinosaurs were feathered, right? Like, and that's becoming much more common knowledge now. So, um, yeah, thought that was interesting. And also horses. I know you love to speak of these horses. I didn't know all of that as far as the uh, that they first returned with the Spanish, allegedly. That's interesting and in how, how historians write, you know, the, the victors that get to write it. it also, or those left alive. I mean, yeah, because like, obviously it gives them a huge advantage, right? Like on a militaristic mm-hmm. level. Yeah. Guns probably help. Yeah, guns, well, I mean, guns make it so much easier for there to be a winner and a loser, don't they? Mm-hmm. Really takes the humanity out when you have a click of a button. Literally, though. Literally. The first men carved out farms and holdfasts, cutting down the weirwoods, giving them to the fire. And so the children went to war, using dark magic to make the seas rise and wipe away the land, shattering the arm of Dorne. But it was too late to close the door. Eliana. Eliana. Chloe. When I read this, when I read this this week, <laughs> I need you to know that I had the biggest, like, my brain came out of my head and was like, yeah. We've talked a little bit about Manu. He was here last Who? week. He's wonderful. Manu friend. And <laughs> I had a blast with Manu last week talking brand. I mean, we wouldn't shut up. It was a great episode. We, we could have talked for like eight hours. Knowing us, Probably. we could have talked for eight yeah. hours about it. But Manu has the theory that because of A, the others, and B, you know, meta reasons, Bran will bring the hammer of the waters down on the neck and separate the north from the south. Uh, Here, the idea of shattering the arm of Dorne was similar, right? It really supports a lot of that. But the language here of it being too late to close the door, that it had been too late to stop them from coming. I'm curious how that will happen. What if Bran does it and it's too late to stop the others? And how does closing the door here figure in, George? Closing the door. Yeah. Which door? How do I? Haven't you people ever heard of closing the goddamn door? No. That's a, maybe that's what Hodor's story is about also. But like, oh no, that, that does seem really significant for that to like be brought in because earlier on in this chapter, you're getting that stuff about Hodor. And then in the previous chapter, the one right before it, right, you're getting that, I think it's the one right before it, where they're talking about Hodor's name. So I do think just as a lot of the seeds for R plus L equals J is in this book, it seems like a lot of the seeds maybe for Hodor's name. Well, because kind of he had to know by now what he wanted to do well, with yeah. Hodor. Like you said, like you're, if you set it up as a trilogy, <laughs> this is who Bran's yeah. companions are going to be. These yep, are the yep, ones yep. that die. Absolutely. I mean, and like the, he, the hero's journey. Well, he knew that about Hodor from the start because like that influenced Hodor's name. So he always exactly. knew like that whole part. But you, you were talking about this in the Shattering of the Arm. Um that also stood out to me because of them talking about spells being like a glass sword, right? And what do mm-hmm. would a glass sword do? Shatter. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I can't oh, wait man. to read that. Come on, George. Come on. Come on, George. I can't wait to read this shit. I hope you, you've written <laughs> it like me. Uh, I'm just kidding. Write it the way you want, babe. 
More children than men die during this, but the wives of both of the races prevail, and finally they come to the god's eye to end the war and forge the pact. That's funny. They were just talking about Simon's star eyes too earlier. Yeah. Uh So the first men are given the coastlands, the high plains, the bright meadows, the mountains, and the bogs, which is like a lot of stuff. (laughs) And then the deep woods were forever the children of the forces, and no further weirwoods would be felled after this day. So the gods might bear witness to the signing. Every tree on the island was given a face, and afterward, the sacred order of the green men was formed to keep watch over the Isle of Faces. The pact had began 4,000 years of friendship between the first men and the children, and ended the Dawn Age, beginning the Age of Heroes. Bran interjects, saying, you said the children are all gone now, though. And Osha's like, well, yeah, here, not above the wall, though, where the children, the giants, and all of the other old races joined together. There's something about the pact, and this is coming because of Hot D. I've got big Hot D brain, you guys. <laughs> big House of the Dragon brain. But there's something interesting that this is the pact between them, and then the next pact we hear of is the pact of ice and fire in mm-hmm. the dance. And... In the Fire and Blood screen adaptation, House of the Dragon, they've included something interesting with George's blessing that he's kind of been talking about since Fire and Blood in some interviews that Aegon knew, capital K, knew about the others, or at least the threat of the others, or a threat, a wintry threat coming to Westeros. Aegon had some sort of idea, and the show has played with George's blessing on Targaryen heirs passing this down, one by one. So... We didn't really know the scope of this. You know, we don't know when it was lost, this whole entire ordeal, maybe the dance because everyone dies. But the show, and this is only in the show, this is from the behind the scenes interview, they've kind of explained they made this part up. The show has the prophecy imbued on the Cat's Paw Dagger, which is a show only invention. But it still makes me wonder kind of about some of the context of Jaceres Targaryen. He's Rhaenyra's son, so he's Jaceres Targaryen. Thank you very much. Uh, Jaceres Targaryen, you know, going to Cregan Stark and their relationship and maybe or maybe not creating a pact of ice and fire with Cregan Stark and marrying Sarah Snow secretly by the Weirwood and all these little thoughts and Rhaegar later taking and stealing Lyanna in the night by Northern tradition, obviously. Uh, mm. it, it makes me wonder, do the Starks then have their own version of what Aegon saw? We know that the Starks have seers in their line. We know that there's magic around the Starks. And it makes you wonder why Torin knelt, right? Did Torin yeah. and Aegon have some sort of understanding because they both knew of the threat that could come that had been handed down centuries to them through prophecy? I don't know. It's int- Maybe they both have their own sides of prophecy and maybe they came together and made that pact of ice and fire first then with the children and the first men, but then... Later, there's a pact between the Targaryens and Starks. That's very interesting, right? Because he's the only one, not the only one, but he's he's known as the king who knelt. Mm-hmm. So, very interesting. And it does feel like the Starks must have their own version of this prophecy or a prophecy of something, right? Maybe like another side. Oh, that was not intentional. Um, but another <laughs> like an side or piece of it because we see throughout... Uh, the rest of the world of Ice and Fire, right? Like, Planetos, there's a lot of different versions of, like, that kind of... Seems like many versions of the Azor Ahai last hero, prince that was promised prophecy, yeah. right? So... Yeah. But it's interesting that, like, 
for the last hero if that's the northern version of it that it's not told as a prophecy but as a story mm -hmm. but i don't mm. know they are storytellers as we see yeah look at old nan she's keeping all of this alive yeah old nan does not get enough credit but it could be like is is the northern one like also you know how jojen talks about things with like a lot of symbolism right uh is is the northern version a story the, the prophecy is a story but told like through symbols or something i don't know i will for my last addition to this this thought i will say there with the focus on the crypts in this chapter it makes me think there's more to the crypts than just spirits yeah. being there and ghosts like there are secrets Absolutely. there where there are bones there are secrets and you know, a lot of the idea they played with in the show, which is fun in Hot D, is the idea of those Valyrian glyphs being imbued on the dagger. That is kind of cool. And I'm not saying that they have something there, but they might have runic, you know, the bronze runic on the wall saying something. On Who the, knows? I thought there were at or least on, on the swords, right? Like, I thought there yeah. were maybe on the swords at yes, one point. Yes, on the swords, that's that right. That rusted. But now they're so, gone, so what What does it mean? <laughs> Well, because they rusted yeah. away. <laughs> maybe, maybe Davos will uh, give us some of those runes somehow. Maybe he will find out what they say. Or Sansa, maybe coming up up with like some of the stuff from the Royces, because mm -hmm. they got yeah. a bunch of like runes on their armor. Taking Nestor down to the crypts or something, or Bronze Jan Royce more likely. And then together we idea. can study with Sam. Maybe Sam takes a really, really, really fast like crash course in linguistics because we didn't have our time jump. We need to get those swords back. Actually, that would not be surprising if Sam did, you know, during the original idea of the time skip, study some of runes those like dead languages. Yeah, and runes because he was looking, through, trying to understand like the historical like stuff. It's historical I would like, love pieces at uh, the, the libraries. So. Mm -hmm. I would be able love to that. read them. I'm looking forward to this, Eliana. I can't wait. I can't wait. I need it. I'm itching. <laughs> I'm itching. I got the fever. Uh-oh. The uh -oh. winter be fever. Careful. Watch out. Oh. oh, God. So Lewin is unhappy with Osha's comments, telling her she should be dead or in chains, and that it is unkind to repay the Starks by filling their heads with folly. Mm -hmm. Bran is like, I don't care. Where did the children go? I need to know more. Same. And Same. Rickon adorably is like, me too, me too. So Lewin tells them the pact endured through the long night and the birth of the Seven Kingdoms when the Andals mm. came. Tall, fair-haired warriors with steel, fire, and the seven-pointed star. But then things changed. The wars lasted for hundreds of years, but the six southern kings fell to the Andals. Only in the north did the first men endure, and the king in the north defended the neck throwing them back. The Andals burnt the weirwood groves in the south, hacked down their faces, slaughtered the children that they found, and proclaimed the triumph of the seven. Boo! Yeah, boo! Boo, all, Andals! Yeah, boo. boo! Boo, Andals! It's a fucking Stannis-ass move right there. Boo! I just wanted to say something else about, like, the timing of things in this Once Upon a Time being a trilogy of, like, yeah, look, there's so much stuff about... A lot of the stuff about the children of the forest is... Is here. I mean, they're scattered throughout the books, but like, imagine it would have been great. It takes though from the first book all the way until the fifth book, mm -hmm. till we meet them. And I'm like, dang, damn. Dang. It's really great groundwork, but it's also really 
far apart. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you can see what happened there as he began to tell a much bigger story. Yeah. We'll leave this quote. So the children fled north. Summer began to howl. Maester Lewin broke off, startled, when Shaggy Dog bounded to his feet and added his voice to his brother's. Dread clutched at Bran's heart. It's coming, he whispered with the certainty of despair. He had known it since last night, he realized, since the crow had let him down into the crypts to say farewell. He had known it, but he had not believed. He had wanted Maester Lewin to be right. The crow, he thought, the three-eyed crow. The howling stopped as suddenly as it had begun. Summer padded across the tower floor to Shaggy Dog and began to lick at a mat of bloody fur on the back of his brother's neck. From the window came a flutter of wings. A raven landed on the gray stone sill, opened its beak, and gave a harsh, raucous rattle of distress. Brickin began to cry. His arrowheads fell from his hand, one by one, and clattered on the floor. Bran pulled him close and hugged him. The raven hops onto Lewin's arm with dried blood on its wings. It seemed it had a difficult journey. He takes the letter from its leg and Bran shivers, waiting for him to tell them what they already know it is. So they say that the blood on the raven's wings comes from a hawk or something, but I'm like, what if it was a falcon? Because the falcon, like John Aaron's like death led to Ned dying, but also I feel like we probably don't really need that. I think the blood on the wings in and of itself already acts as a symbolism. It, we don't need the other bird. But it was just a thought. I don't think it's necessary. It's really not necessary. The blood, the blood on the wings does it on its own. There's also something that's very kind of like prey. Right, mm. like he also thinks it might have been an owl, and there's mm. something in the Bible. There's Mosaic law where it basically calls owls unclean birds. In Leviticus, I want to say, yeah, Leviticus. These are the birds you are to regard as unclean and not eat because they are unclean. The eagle, the vulture, the black vulture, the red kite, any kind of black mm. kite, any kind of raven, the horned owl, the screech owl, the gull, and any kind of hawk, the little owl, the cormorant, the great owl, the white owl, the desert owl. Owls were unclean because they are predatory creatures who eat flesh with blood in it. It's kind of funny because like a lot of other animals, I guess, are like that, but... Yeah, I guess they just named all the carnivorous birds. <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, owls are, they do sometimes feel a little, they eat like a lot of mice. And I just remember, you did this, right? The the thing where you dissect owl pellets in school? Maybe. You I don't remember forgot that? a lot I think, of that. I, think I don't you know. you would have remembered if, I think you would have remembered if you were given a fluffy piece of like Was owl this like high school? Up. Uh, I know I did it a little bit in elementary school, but I might have also done it again in high school. But I think um, you would remember if they gave you a piece of fluffy, like, owl, owl upchuck and there were bones in it. I only ever had the frog one, and I mm. got out of that shit because I have a very gentle heart, so. Mm -hmm. So did the frog, probably. Yeah, which I will <laughs> never know. Good day. Good day. Uh, the other part of these with the owl is also that like their cry is really powerful and it's often oh. seen as like a very lonely hoot like desolation oh. and loneliness yeah Who which is, is also kind of sad but uh, which obviously i feel desolate and lonely and these boys do too but something about the the fact that it could be a something that preys on its other kind you know that that oh. raven almost went down and i mean 
someone wanted that raven to go down, I bet. Maybe it wasn't an owl, but maybe it was just the prey predator. Whatever, but... I think being a maybe... bird seems pretty dangerous, though. It's just a dangerous life. If it was a hawk, hawks are often domesticated and could go after other animals. You could teach it probably to go after. Who knows? That actually would not be surprising if uh, perhaps... I don't know. I guess it does and it doesn't make sense because they do want people knowing. Yeah, because I'm like, I guess people do want Ned... Ned, They do want people knowing that Ned died as a traitor or the Lannisters do because then it helps put down everything else. They That's just don't have happens. a social media post, you know. They can't do that. Oh my god, I'm, they don't have a, they don't have a Twitter. Remember what, when we were all like, "Is a world war about to start on Twitter?" <laughs> oh my god. Osha tells Bran that he knows what it is. Maester Lewin looked up at them numbly, a small gray man with blood on his sleeve of his gray wool robe and tears in his bright gray eyes. My lords, he said to the sons in a voice gone hoarse and shrunken. We, we shall need to find a stone carver who knew his likeness well. I hate that their dreams are right. It's very sad. It is. I'm desolate. I'm lonely. I'm terrifyingly sad. I guess it's good they didn't give us the scene, but you can imagine, like, Lewin just suddenly, like, hunching over and just Lewin crying about it, then, like, Brandon Rickon and everyone's crying and Osha's probably like having to be like pat pat to everyone but Lewin knew him for so long I mean you're supposed to be reasonable with children right you're supposed to tell them that if you have a child around you right now don't let them hear this you shouldn't we say fuck like every other word but if your kid is next to you earmuffs um like Santa's not real like there comes a time when you're just being fucking ridiculous if you're propagating that to them past a certain age right like you do have to give them the real world like as mad as I am at Lewings I'm like dog you've lied to them for an hour because you're like magic's not real here's all the magic your dreams are wrong that's what he thinks the real world is yeah because he's been through it and he's like there's no fucking magic for me but Bran and Rickon right in that moment are like uh real sad but also I'm sure Bran is like huh Two plus two does equal four? Yeah, he's like, hmm, suspicious that I would have dreamt this, and so did Rickon, and then this happened right after. Maybe it means something, and it does, it does, but I don't know. I'm just, like, also sad about Lewin, right? Like, he's not the one, he has to deliver this news, but he's not telling them Mm -hmm. that their dad died yet. Like, he's not using those words. He's saying Mm -hmm. we need to find a stone carver who knew his likeness well, like, because he's grieving, too, and I'm just thinking of, like, Lewin can't even get those words out, and he just starts, like, sobbing, too. That's what I'm yeah. thinking about. Lewin himself crumpling and being sad. Because he's had sad. to be strong and parent them yeah. in the absence of them, and he's had to parent Rob, and he's had to, you know, like, he's had to really be strong as well and give them support while their parents are gone, and how you can parent them, you can say magic's not real to these weird kids with magic wolves all you want in order to maintain some sort of stasis, right? Which is what he's doing. He has to. He has to give them a normal life. But then how do you tell them their dad's dead? You could tell them the children of the forest sang songs all day long. But how do you tell them your dad's well, Also, dead? like he parented Ned a bit too, if you think about it. Yeah. He, Ned comes back from the war. He's still a young man, you know? Like he's like... 21 22 probably or or around Mm -hmm. that age and because we know that lewin delivered all of catelyn's children so like lewin had to help guide ned into leadership too 
Yeah, to be the man that he had to suddenly be for Winterfell. I'm just sad. I'm sad again. Why why, why have we watched Dad die so many different times? I mean, it's just like old Nan, right? Like, Lewin has seen generations now of Starks. He was going on his next gen, eventually, was his hope, right? They've had to parent them, and they've been such a big part of them and their culture. Like, old Nan with her stories, and... yeah. Ugh. they're losing a part of their God. family too right like the they fuck? came here in servitude to this family but at the same time they became part of this family yeah they do see Lewin as part of the family and he I mean he's out here he's so part of the family that you know Catelyn's running around naked in front of him in this very <laughs> book but you everyone know, has tits you know everyone has titties that's so true and uh, I don't have a big point on this. I just wanted to like squeeze it in here. Maybe it'll help us unsad for a sec. It actually won't. Um, you know, they're talking about we need to find a stone carver who knew his likeness. Well, it's a it's a good reminder of this is a time before more accurate, right? Like portrait paintings, and I don't know. That takes a lot of talent to have to try to do it from memory. That's it. Yeah, it really does. Though we see they have the miniatures, right? But there's nowhere, like you said, no detail, not it's real not- detail. Yeah, that hasn't like come up yet really in that movement. And and like and his body's not there, right? Like it's one thing if the mm-hmm. body were there and you can like refer to it to a little, right? But he... you need someone who can hold his memory and create that. Who's going to carve that? Did they even really get it started is my question. How much did they get done? That's a good question cuz I actually don't know. Like do, does anyone know? Like did they it might not have even they might not have even been able to get it started. I don't know. It's done in the show, but who the fuck did it? We don't know. That's really what I was thinking is like, who the fuck actually is doing that? No one, because Winterfell goes down. Yeah, Theon destabilizes it pretty fast. I mean, they maybe they were like in the middle of the work, right? Like, but yeah, Theon yeah. destabilizes things so fast that I don't know. There's no time for grieving for them. No time for anything. Ah. Well, I'm very excited to get to the next book because I love A Clash of Kings. I am like a huge Clash of Kings pro-Clash fan. Yeah, and we get Theon back and some chaos and we start with some magic and we start with the harvest feast coming up. Mm. Oh, God. And, you know, per our schedule, we'll be there right at the right time, right? We'll be doing some some harvest feasting ourselves. So exciting. Good timing on our part. We did this on purpose. (laughs) We did not, but (laughs) maybe we did. You know, dreams are real. So if you want to keep up with us when all that happens or you have things to say that we'll get to eventually, probably, you can find us on social media at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, C-A-N-O-N, or you can shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, please follow, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Audible, and Amazon Podcasts. I'm so proud of you. And more. (laughs) And somewhere you can always find us is on Patreon, where patrons in the $5 tier and above get bonus episodes once a month. This month we are... Doing the King's Guard, and you can find that on patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. 
Yeah, we also have weekly and monthly events hosted by us and, of course, some of our friends and patrons, too, like our weekly House of the Dragon discussion episodes. Catch the last two coming up this week and next week on Fridays at 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. If you're in the Thunder tier and above, 10 bucks and up over at Patreon. Or our monthly brunch slash happy hour this month is Sunday, October 23rd from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. ET. And, uh... We hope to see you over there on Discord. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. We will see you for a Clash of Kings. Woo!